Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, aka Project Pat, and you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's La Marvelous. Thank you guys. All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Tuesday, May 12th. My name is Jake Luke, and I'm joined by Spencer Schultz. It's been a week or so, right? Here we are. It has been a week. We are in that dry spell, that dirty stretch, post-draft, pre-even knowing exactly where the NFL is going to go from here, what timetables will be. Uh, I mean, the Saints canceled their mini camps and all that good stuff like a month ago. So we'll see what it ends up being. We've had some time to marinate and – uh, seen a couple small moves go on, but we're in it for the long haul as usual. Yeah, dry spell can't relate. Um, but yeah, we are kind of getting into that uh, that sort of period that we were talking about a little bit there, where the draft was what we had to look forward to for a while. We did a lot of looking forward to it. We basked in it when it happened. Basked. Uh, I, I pronounce that word weirdly. Sue me. Uh, but yeah, it was a great time. Uh, it really took our mind off things for a weekend and then the ensuing week after. Now, kind of not really a whole lot going on. And uh, we're trying to push some content. But uh, thankfully, a, a star player on the Ravens is giving us some great content and his brother and uh, some other lovely individuals. Uh, the NFL schedule was released. There was a, I think, a three-hour TV program on it. Uh, some people bitching on Twitter about that. It's like, okay, like if you don't want to watch it, don't watch it. Like, I think it's kind of nice. Exactly, exactly. If it's not for you, don't worry about it. It's not like it was like you had to wait until 11.58 p.m. to see game 17 of the freaking Seahawks schedule. Like the schedule was released ahead of it. They did a three-hour show touching on it, which is fine. Yeah, and there's uh, I get annoyed when people complain about that kind of stuff in regular years. But like this year, there's literally nothing going on. And like it doesn't affect you to begin with. And I mean, there's new NFL fans coming into, uh, you know, the the fold every single year. Maybe, you know, they haven't seen something like that. So for the newer people, maybe that's something cool. But yeah, we're kind of getting into the uh, the content suck, as it were. We're starting to venture into the evergreen content a little bit. Voss and I did uh, the first uh, episode of our new back in the day format that we're doing, which is basically just a rewatchables ripoff of old Ravens games and events. First up was the 2003 
Ravens Titans wildcard matchup, which I thought was a really fun game and a uh, fun episode. It was. And that game was so like just the opening Ray Lewis walking out of the tunnel. That was like in his heyday, his 250 tackle year and just watching him come out and the way that like, I don't know, being fortunate enough to go to Ravens games throughout my childhood, the way that other teams would kind of bend and look and watch his entrance as like this. There has never been a bigger polarizing figure defensively with that kind of like star power to them in that way, like on game day and just watching like the energy that he brought to the stadium, the way the stadium reacted and you can hear the heap at the, in the big catch all the way at the end. That, that was an awesome game. Awesome, awesome game. And um, you know, it's just ironic. And then looking back at, you know, all the great battles between the Titans back then and then what happened this past year. And then now the Ravens are going to end up getting that rematch this year. It just adds more juice and juice is good. Yeah. It's funny because like when the AFC central was going on and then I guess at the time that it had become the AFC North that year, they were kind of the Steelers for a while uh, for the early two thousands there, as far as a, divisional opponent that was you know equal in stature and strength to the Ravens and they were going to give them a tough fight every time Ravens got the better of them uh, most of the time but that was one where they actually wound up losing so I thought it was interesting in that they lost the game and it's kind of a fun bookend uh, in that the Ravens lost uh, to the Titans in the playoffs this year a lot of fun I know I'm just an absolute master of fun basking in old playoff losses but yeah, I thought it was cool to go back and revisit. That was a fun game. Will Demps, man. Will Demps. That was sick. That yeah, that pick six. I was like, damn, like I don't I didn't even really have much memory of him, but like when I saw that, I was like, damn, this guy must have been a little bit of a player. Uh the broadcast I thought was freaking hilarious. So it, it it was really fun to go back to that. And we're gonna have some good ones coming up for you guys shortly. Right. It was a lot of fun. And it, Will Demps just fits into that uh Ed Reed sidekick with Haruki Nakamura, Zibikowski, uh, Dewan Landry, a lot of classic Jim Leonard, a lot of classic kind of Robins to Ed Reed's Batman there that, that had some pretty fun roles in a lot of fun games. So that was one of my favorites of that part of the game. Yeah, you got to love the uh, underrated sort of utility safety that's just like looks a million times better because they're playing next to Ed Reed. But, uh, you know, they're also grinders in their own right. So it's good to right. see them get some shine. And that was a yeah, that was a fun game. A lot of a lot of turnovers, including Reed getting a pick himself. So uh, go back and watch that and then listen to the subsequent podcast episode if you have not already. But uh, I guess that's enough talk about that before we get into the news that we haven't covered yet that came out last weekend. Is there anything else we want to touch on first? Uh, DJ Fluker officially signed and figures to, you know, be in that starting rotation potentially. Um, I guess, you know, it makes sense that a, that a vet might end up getting the nod in the sense that it's going to be a shortened training camp, a shortened, you know, learning curve, learning process, able to get up to speed. Um, so if that ends up being the case, there's not a traditional training camp, you would anticipate Fluker maybe being that guy, but then Larry Walford from the the Saints cut. So I thought the Ravens might go ahead and maybe pull a Ryan Grant or a, a Michael Brockers and maybe rescind, but they didn't end up going that way. And maybe it's for the best. I mean, Fluker, I've, I've watched a little bit more tape on. He uh, He's going to bring some nastiness to him that he uh, will be able to beat up on guys. He doesn't have the technical prowess of obviously a Yonda or some of the better guards in the league, but he's going to be able to be thick body, next to Orlando Brown on double teams. And that's going to be a righteous way 
Uh, it seemed like a lot of times runs to that side of the line were, were dominant, and I think that Fluker has potential to really work some combo blocks with Orlando Brown. Those two are thick as hell. So interesting to see, and uh, maybe he ends up being that starting right guard this year. So as opposed to strong side this year, the right side is going to be called the righteous way. The righteous way. Had uh, Eric just text me and ask, is Spencer ripped? He looks high as fuck. Um, ripping these bad boys. There you go. There's your answer. So it's just, you know, <laughs> crushing a couple crispy boys on a Monday night. You know, what's wrong with that? I just, I have very squinty eyes always. I don't think they're, they look, I don't, don't, they're don't, don't let him get in your head. Don't make him make you self-conscious here. Okay. I'm always ripped one way or another. I don't, I don't need uh, uppers or downers. I'm just I misunderstood ripped. him at first. I texted him back. I was like, no, he's more bulked up. Like he just lifts and drinks a lot of beer. <laughs> dad bod i'm i'm dad bod man man strength is coming on i'm getting close to 30 i've always wanted uh dad strength man strength i think i'm i think i'm starting to get there i was gonna say i think you're probably on the cusp if not already flirting with it but uh yeah i guess so the fluker signing we're touching on there it's gonna be the righteous way on that side of the line kind of does feel like and i think jeff z was throwing out there that he is going to be the favorite to take over for marshall yonda there on that uh, right guard spot. But, I mean, there's so much competition at this point. I mean, they draft two guys. Uh, you know, you got Powers still in the mix there, and then some other guys that are just kind of uh, floating around as well, Makari, Skura, uh, all these dudes that are just going to be vying to start on the interior O-line. It feels like if they don't have star power, they at least have a lot of bodies to throw at the issue. Competition, depth is how you address a loss like that. And I'm just glad. I'm just glad the Ravens went that route, getting Fluker, getting Bredesen, Retaining Skura, getting uh, Tyree Phillips, who we're not quite sure what he's going to be yet and where he's going to factor into the offensive line equation. But having those that versatility, that positionless football, that Ravens ideal versatility is the name of their brand. So I'm excited to see how it ends up playing out, and I hope they're able to get a good substantive, uh, substantive, I can't think of the right word, I'm blanking. Substantive. Up. Yep, training camp and able to make sure that they're healthy and, and all that good stuff. And uh, I think it's going to be, it's really difficult right now. I mean, I'm thinking about all the baseball kids right now, you know, kids that are on the cusp of maybe getting into, you know, the college scouting world and, and the draft world and not being able to have arm maintenance, like, is going to be really detrimental to them. Not having your hamstrings ready to go for training camp at any level of football. Like we could end up seeing, let's say, you know, there's an abbreviated training camp and they try to get right into the swing of things. Hammies are going to go out left and right. Like there's going to be a lot of bumps and bruises and injuries. Um, you know, maybe not so much. It, I don't know about the ACL stuff or any of that or the impact of that. But I just know that if you try to rush back into it too quick, you're going to you're going to ACL probably wouldn't be something like that because that's just a kind of an injury that's just happens as opposed to like a chronic right. thing. Uh, so like a break and a, a ligament tear uh ligament tears typically aren't like that unless they've already happened once before so right and yeah it can be totally random with that but as far as you know tightness hammies you know hampered kind of those quick injuries that kind of take you out of the equation for two to four weeks it feels like you know it's a pretty big possibility and just in the general sports world i mean the big thing right now of coming out of the nba is you know Shaq made some some ripples the past couple of days saying that he believes the NBA should just scrap this season. 
And I don't think that's a terrible idea. I mean, it's it's a shortened season. You know, by now we would um, we'd be you know almost getting to the playoffs. We're getting close to that point. I mean, the finals would be next month, basically. Exactly. Um, so it's it's going to be an asterisk season either way. And maybe it's best to let them go back through and warm up and get healthy and do all that, and then just bring it again. Um, so I don't know. I'm I'm kind of in favor of that, but I just want to make sure that that. Guys are getting prepped right. Guys are able to get back up to speed because, especially in football, I mean, it's a dangerous sport where you can have a lot of very major negative impacts happen with with hamstrings and with things like that that start to hamper you and, and linger for a really long time. So I'm sure these guys are doing some sort of maintenance, but I hope they just don't rush them back into actually playing and uh, they're at the highest level, so I'm sure they'll they'll take good care of that and all that good stuff. But uh, it's, it's just interesting times right now, and that's another factor of it. We are living in uh, very uncertain times. That's very true, uh, astute point of view. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, like sports, it kind of does feel like some of them we're going to have to punt on, like maybe NHL and NBA. Baseball is kind of a will they or won't they type thing. There seems to be optimism in some corners, pessimism in others. I would be all for an 82-game baseball season. Sure. All for that. I'm all for that in a regular year. We have enough baseball games. People figure it out. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like golf is definitely sort of easing its way back in, uh, maybe starting with these couple fluke events that they're going to have throughout May and then uh, start getting back into the real swing of things with the tour in June. Um, as for other sports, I mean, it's kind of hard to predict because summer is kind of sports strapped to begin with. So you'd right. have baseball going on typically, and then everyone sort of gears up for the end of summer with training camp. So I feel like maybe training camp is going to be that first big litmus test, uh, as far as just bigger sports for the end of the year and, you know, heading into 2021, uh, we're going to see what happens. Pretty optimistic that they're going to figure something out with the NFL. There's just too much money at stake. And, you know, you got to think that with a couple of months to prepare, they could find a way to maybe quarantine these guys, uh, maybe pull a little, uh, Mike Airman trout clearing a warehouse out for a bunch of Germans type situation. Shout out to better call Saul balls deep into that. Uh, great recommendation. Ooh, um, the best, the best, one of the so best good. shows I've ever seen, uh, to this point, at least. But yeah, I mean, and, and it's, inter- it's interesting because Kirk Cousins actually made a comment that got a little bit of hate, a little bit of criticism, saying it was maybe, you know, in, in poor taste a little bit. But he was saying, you know, I think uh, I think it was right around the draft. He said, you know, I think it would be really interesting because a lot of these guys in the sport at this level have not played in front of an empty, you know, a, a small crowd or an empty stadium. Um, and you can laugh and say, you know, the Redskins or the Jags, or but they haven't played in front of like. Well, no I've one. never, I haven't seen that joke going around on Twitter. Yeah, people making but, jokes about empty stadiums and teams with you know poor records. But never still, seen there's that. there's still twenty thousand people there. Like I know, still, I'm just I'm just calling out the people that like it's you're not being original with that joke. Everyone has made that joke, whether yeah, in their yeah, heads yeah. or actually on Twitter. It's we all know. Let's get a little more creative here. Not yeah, to be the joke on Budsman. I'm not above. Elevate. Let's elevate. I'm not above a bad joke here and there, but that's just that one is just the lowest of low hanging fruit. Thinking about Dan Snyder ripping out twenty thousand seats from his stadium to not get blacked out on TV is just not even a joke. It's that's, just so sad. It's kind of sick. It is kind of. It's sick. like it's kind of it's a little Kim J- overhang. It's a little like, Kim Jong Un situation where it's like I'm just gonna 
Streisand effect this thing or like the other the reverse Streisand effect and just like oh you're you're not firing me I quit I'm gonna take away these seats so you're not gonna see fans not coming to my games I like it it's fantastic and the way that Dan Snyder has uh, effectively created a little dictatorship of that area of that no man's land FedEx field Rao John Landover Maryland what Landover Maryland is is very North Korea esque. To yeah, be honest, I, I love it. I, I feel for Redskins fan friends. I definitely have a few. And, uh, you know, so we're going to get to see again preseason at Redskins, then a regular season game at Redskins, I think a month later. So big, big ups to FedEx. Get some Chase Young, some Dwayne Haskins, some scary Terry McLaurin. Uh, that's going to be fun times. Yeah, they've got Redskins for week four. And they have them in week four of the preseason. So it's literally a month apart. That's awesome. I'm excited for that. I hope it's able to function properly. But yeah, we'll uh we'll we'll get into some schedule talk, but you gotta think that place is gonna be if I mean if they do not get off to a flying start, the Redskins, that place is gonna be over half purple in week four. Pro it still will probably be half purple either way. Yeah, I mean, you know, new coach, young quarterback that some people are excited about, young new franchise cornerstone player. Absolutely. Redskins fans, I think they're they're passionate. I mean, I just I wouldn't blame them if they were like, you know, what I'm just done committing money. To I, this. I don't think they're passionate. I think that they are like numb at this point, and they like are they expect failure. It's like uh, it's like be, well, yeah, I but I mean that's better to me. The Orioles like caring to that point, but they I feel like they still watch at this point. Like I I oh, will ad- sure. I will admit that I fall off of watching the Orioles like at least halfway into the season. Like I feel like they're still watching their team at like you know, five and nine. I don't think like week 12, I think a lot of Redskins fans are kind of like, some of them definitely do. Some of them do, but I do know some of them, especially like a football fan that passionately does like fantasy and stuff. But a lot of people shout out to my, shout out to my bud, Zach, who you met um, last preseason. He goes to every game regardless, but I mean, they have nice seats and everything, but like still he's, he's like justifying reasons to like go. And I'm just like, man, like it'll, you'll get there. I just feel for them, and at the same time, I think they're very uh, just generally turned off. It feels like the way I felt about the Orioles when I was fifteen, and I t- that's why I like find so much interest in the Redskins situation because I can actually empathize with it to a degree, and I just always find it interesting. And they're just they just always when you start talking Redskins, Redskins fans always start shaking their head in uh, like a sad disapproval of what is what has happened from such a kind of great legacy of a franchise through basically our our lifetime they have just been so pitiful and uh it's interesting interesting to watch yeah it's a tough scene for sure uh but yeah redskins on the docket twice for the ravens schedule which we will be getting into after we of course discuss the interesting bit of news that came down last week i believe it was last wednesday night uh ravens safety earl thomas so Going through the timeline, basically, I was sitting in bed. I think I had started Better Call Saul. I was on, like, episode one. And I'm just kind of settling in, relaxing. I'm like, yeah, you know, nothing's really going on. I'm scrolling Instagram, and a video of shirtless Earl Thomas comes up. Um, Basically, he kind of... and I He's always shirtless. He is, but, like, I sort of... The way that he was talking to the camera, like, I had my sound off or whatever, and I scrolled past it, I think, and then I did a double take. I was like, wait, what was he doing there? Why was that caption so long? He's always just, like, posting highlights with no caption. So I go back, 
and I start watching it and immediately my heart just sinks. I'm like, oh, fuck. And I go and I tweet it out basically like a summary of what he had said. And people really started to pick it up and catch on to it. Uh, not to say that I was the first, of course, but I feel like I was one of them. Uh, crossed the, t- the uh, thousand mark on the Twitter account, too. So shout out to me. Um, but yeah, he basically goes into this uh, situation about how he's pissed that TMZ got a hold of this news and they're going to be running it. And it's a situation, a altercation that took place between him and Nina, which I didn't even throw like his wife in there because I didn't want to presume anything. But immediately your mind just goes to Ray Rice when he puts that out. Mine jumped to Tyreek Hill because it was just last year. And I think it was right around the exact same time, like May-ish, right at post draft. I might be wrong on that, but I just jumped to that and I was just like, oh. I just immediately knew that this was something I'm not going to be not going to stop hearing about. And I of course assumed the worst, like you were saying, but I was just not excited for whatever was to come. Um, it ended up being so preposterously sounding, seeming fictitious, like a written story, almost the actual event that occurred but I was anticipating something way worse as far as something that he had done. Um, And it it, it also just always throws me for a whirlwind because of two things, that there's videos of this and the way that the media can get a hold of something and TMZ can get a hold of something and then thinking about how it might have been you know, in the 80s and 90s with a similar situation. And then I also always just jumped to Des Bryant's situation where allegedly Jerry Jones paid seven figures to suppress a video of him in a domestic situation or a uh, not great seeming situation. And those two things always run through my head whenever something like this happens. But I was just so immediately disappointed that the Ravens were going to have to hear something like this. And then all of the kind of crap that Earl Thomas had taken from the Titans game and the stiff arm and him. him been, saying, a t- been a tough couple months for your boy. Yes, has been a tough couple months on the old Twitter sphere. Um, but in the end, you know, weird situation. But it's it's crazy. I mean, you never know. It doesn't seem like the the NFL has been out to get the Ravens, maybe. Like they, you, there used to be the rumors like that and how uh, Tagliabue wanted a museum and didn't like the franchise after. But uh, crazy Rose, Roselle was the same way with the Colts, and then Tagliabue did the same thing with the uh, blocking Baltimore getting an expansion team. So we can throw that around as rumors, but I mean, it's actually just kind of fact. Although I do think Rog has been pretty pro Baltimore, to be fair. 100%. He's he's definitely been uh, pro Baltimore. And From the I area they, to a certain degree, I, I believe. Yeah. And also, I think he, I think the NFL really likes the Lamar Jackson experience, and I feel like they have pushed him into the spotlight. And say what you will, but I think that they have a way of manipulating kind of superstars and success to a degree, whether big or small, I don't know. But I think that they've definitely propelled Baltimore. Uh, but but just having that resurface was was not fun. And uh, yeah, so I yeah. mean, he so he puts that out there. TMZ, I believe, maybe an hour or two later, Ravens Twitter completely on fire at this point, um, just speculating about what it could be. Some people trying to say how it's maybe not going to be a big deal. Don't invoke the Ray Rice thing here quite yet. Uh, some other people kind of worrying the worst. And then uh, TMZ leaks, headline, cops, Earl Thomas, NFL star held at gunpoint by wife ellipses in blow up over alleged cheating. So I start reading this and... Huh? Uh? We got to get a soundboard to get the uh, Tim the Toolman Taylor thing because as soon as, like, I'm maybe a paragraph in and it's just, uh, 
So NFL star Earl Thomas is lucky to be alive after cops say his wife held a loaded gun less than a foot from his head after she allegedly caught him cheating with another woman. So that's the first block. And then it goes into the story about how I believe the long and short of it is that uh, Nina gets home. uh, Some sort of fight ensues because she's angry about Earl maybe drinking a little bit too much. Uh, He hightails it out of the house, doesn't want to deal with it. Uh, I think he goes to meet up with his brother, Seth. At uh, Seth picked him up. So Seth picks him up. They go to this other house in Austin, Texas, where he lives in the offseason with two women. And the way that the story was circulating was that Earl and Seth proceed to have a foursome in the same bed with these two women. That's about as cleanly as I can put it right now. Twitter ran with it to the point where it, it was like, there was like not even a girl there almost. They like wanted to say like it was like two was brothers good. in bed. That And there's that clip of Key and Peel. I don't know if our followers have seen that or if you or our listeners have or if you've seen that. But there's a clip of Key and Peel where they're partaking in one woman together. And they're and the guy's like, come on, bro. Give me a high five. And then he like grabs his hand and he's like making eye contact with them and doing that whole thing. And Twitter, I mean, Twitter had a field day with this. It was, it was really funny. Like I got, if like the thing about this situation is like, I'm just really glad that it wasn't like another serious thing. And like once this article comes out where you read through it and essentially, so like, yeah, like we mentioned, there was the, the inaccuracy that they're having this like foursome in the same bed. It actually wound up that they were in two different rooms, uh, Earl with one woman, Seth with another, but uh, there's, there's one key letter that is a word, I suppose, technically, that was not used and, and a phrase it, it said Earl and Seth were in bed. Yeah. That's said, what it was. That's why people ran with it. I was, I thought the same a thing. Bed. No. Yeah. I thought the same thing. I was like, Oh no, like this is uh looking bad for him. Wound up not being that, but Nina tracks where he is with his Snapchat location. Fellas watch out. She you logged don't... into his Snapchat and then that's where she like caught wind of the situation i mean uh, the the part of it that's ridiculous like when you tell when you tell oh like, just the one part like, of this that's ridiculous the, like as a whole like the part of it that tickles me is that like earl is like 30 yeah and he I'm, just turned 31 yeah so i'm like imagining you know i've heard I, there used to be some crazy stuff that would happen with like girls that you know and guys that you're friends with and there's a cheating situation when you're like 19 or 16 or whatever and like the girl's like ah! And the guy's like, rah, 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 rah. but at this point, it's it's uh, it's just a little preposterous. Uh, it, it's uh, it's some young bull stuff. Yeah. So essentially, so she tracks to where he is, takes a gun with her in the spirit of trying to scare him. She says she unloads it, brings it into the house and confronts him in the bed, I guess, with this other woman. They get into this sort of fight, uh, you know, I guess verbal altercation. She points it at his head, not realizing that there is actually a bullet in the chamber. So he came very close to eating it just right then and there. But I guess he like wrestles the gun away from her, runs out into the yard. Cops have already been alerted. I guess it was a large fight uh, that the neighbors maybe were clued into. Uh, And then Nina gets arrested. Let me see what the exact charges were. I don't want to mess this up. Burglary. I know burglary. Okay, so so after speaking with everyone, cops ultimately arrested Nina and both members of her posse. 
So she had a posse. That's kind of sick. Nina was booked for burglary of a residence with intent to commit aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, family violence, and later bonded out. So that's what she was uh, charged with there. Um, and ultimately, like, that's basically the extent of it. And it sounds like there. this happened over a month ago. Another wrinkle to it is that Earl did not inform the Ravens, uh, which they don't sound overly pleased about understandably but so this happened over a month ago he confirmed in that video that he initially leaked that they're already talking and um he's seen the kids and everything and they're kind of working through it i guess at this point but yeah like you said it sounded it's, like it might not be a first time occurrence uh yeah but yeah you so you said that um it's just like young guy type of shit and like i'm totally with you like i is even when earl first signed with the ravens i guess when he was 29 last year i noticed right away on a social media that he was a little bit of a party boy, uh, which I, I was had no clue before. No, neither did I. I, I no thought clue that he was, uh, I mean, he let whatever that speaks to, you know, I don't, I, I'm going to be doing the same things. I wish I could do the things that he did. Like, it's just, it's just based on his reputation from Seattle as like this super hard worker. Who's serious, like very, serious. very serious and down to kind of just down to business. Like you wouldn't expect that necessarily, but you know, his play didn't drop off at all. And, you know, he did what he had to do on the field and in the practice room and in the meetings, presumably. So maybe he's just kind of that work hard, play hard type of guy. And plus the whole thing with Brandon Williams, like being deathly serious that why the, why the hell did he sit out against the Browns? It's sort of reminiscent of, you. I'm not even caught up on the last. I know what you're going to say. Yeah. I'm not yeah. even caught up on the last answer right now, but it is kind of reminiscent of that MJ, you know, Earl's Jordan guy. Intensity is a teammate. Intensity nope. is a teammate. Intensity and just everything he does just, you know, kind of burns it at both ends. And, uh, this time it wound up burning him in the ass a little bit and he's uh, going to be paying the consequences in his personal life. But, uh, just as far as a Ravens perspective, it doesn't seem like, it's really going to affect things too much. Uh, Florio put such a little obnoxious thing. And I don't, I usually think Florio is hilarious, but you see him like he gets a little out over his skis sometimes. Seeking how to get out of 10 million, blah, blah, blah. No, Florio there. No, just no, they're not going to do that over a situation where he apparently acted in the heat of the moment as appropriately as he could have like, there's a gun. There's a woman. I mean, honestly, probably more appropriately than I think I would have. Like, I would have freaked out. Yeah, there's a panic. That is a panicked situation. And, um, you know, apparently there's a video of it and everything's fine. And then you see what we end up seeing. And, and this all could be different. Who knows? There can be some whole investigation, blah, blah, blah. But Earl had his birthday the other day. Nina buys him with his own money, I'm assuming. Some ridiculously extravagant... Uh, pendant i can't even think of the right word the ones that open and have a picture Jesus piece i don't know no it's a it's like a locket a locket it is a like stop water uh, monocle sized locket that has like et on the front and it opens and it's a picture of him and his father who passed away and it is like this preposterously big diamond and gold locket chain and he was like thank you so much nina for the gift like I just, I just don't even know. They're, yeah, they're definitely that couple that's like, you're at the house party and everyone's just in the backyard having a couple beers and just out of nowhere, they just start fighting and going nuts. And then the next morning, they're just at brunch all over each other. It's like something out of like, uh, like real world or like desperate housewives or something. I don't know. It's a crazy situation and uh, it was made public and I'm sure that 
they're reveling in, in even the idiots like us talking about it. But of course it happens during, you know, this situation where any sort of news is covered in butter and salt and gobbled up by everyone possible and completely uh, consumed. So unreal situation, but sounds like everything's fine on the home front and glad that they're safe. Glad nothing worse happened. Um, you know, it is, it is what it is. Yeah. I think uh, ultimately the fact that it wound up being this kind of funny sort of thing that we can all just sort of look at and be like, wow, that is absolutely utterly nuts is uh, the pleasant outcome. I, re- I remember like uh, I tweeted out the article and I was like, oh, I can't even believe what I'm reading right now. And uh, a friend of the show, Skipjack, like tweeted back. He's like, dude, is it weird that like I'm relieved that this is what this is about? And I was like, right. it's probably a little weird, but I'm definitely relieved. So I, I get what you're saying. Um, but yeah, just a very weird situation all around. It seems like it's not going to affect his standing with the team too much at all moving forward for 2020. So, uh, yeah, he just got outed in very public and humiliating, embarrassing fashion. Uh, he's going to be geared at, uh, relentlessly by fans, presuming there are fans, uh, in 2020 and definitely beyond that when there certainly are going to be fans. This is going to follow him forever, but, uh, ultimately maybe no harm, no foul. Seemed like, uh, it, it leaked pretty much on his birthday. So it seemed like he was partying, having himself a good little time posting TikToks. So, uh, you go Earl, just do Just, he's doing his thing, you know? Yeah. Go Earl, go. Uh, what the hell man. And you know, he, he, uh, my favorite picture of Earl is a Raven is him heading in for halftime uh, playing in Seattle uh, or maybe it was pregame and there's the sign uh, above the tunnel from Seahawks fans that says like Earl lost a step or whatever the hell it said exactly but like like thank you Earl you've lost a step or something of the sort and uh, a guy who's always played with a chip on his shoulder so I'm sure he's used to the scrutiny used to all that stuff and uh, hopefully his situation plays out for the best but just a weird uh, just going to end up being a, I feel like he's going to have a very strange legacy in Baltimore. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was already kind of complicated a little bit by last year. Some of the stuff that went down, uh, like we mentioned, his play was pretty decent, but he didn't really get too involved as far as a playmaker because he just kind of wasn't thrown at a whole lot. Uh, and then obviously he had the comments heading into the playoffs and like, who are we going to be playing in the Super Bowl? And then Derrick Henry just kind of ran train all over him. Uh, like he and Seth are running train on uh, uh, Nevermind, but yeah, so weird situation, funny situation. Reads like a freaking the beginning to a Coen Brothers movie, which is uh, pretty sick. Uh, and yeah, that's that's all I got on it. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see. And I mean, like you said, I was just I was just a little surprised. I mean, nothing against him, but definitely didn't know he uh, liked to get loose like he does, as far as the drinking stuff and whatever. I mean, post him smoking hookah and whatever, but. I mean, I remember, I remember, uh, I went to Mosaic, which is a power plant <clears throat> on a ra- I think it was like a Thursday night or something. And lo and behold, Steve Smith senior is at a table, has his own table, has, uh, he likes to wear those, like, I don't know how to describe them. Like the, like small caps that are like a small bowler top. hat. Yeah. And had one up there with his big chain on and was just there with like 12 people and like an empty club, just like That's going off, laughing his, laughing his ass off. And it was like a random night. And I was like, eh, yeah, they all, I mean, they all like to go enjoy themselves, especially when you get to that age. And uh, you're, I mean, they're guys like that, that have played in big games and have, you know, have made their money for the most point and had the success. I mean, Earl's played in back-to-back Super Bowls, won one and stuff. So 
no, no disrespect, no hate towards, you know, enjoying your life and living your life. But just interesting. He is a much more interesting figure off the field than I realized. Yeah, definitely. And it does go back to like noticing the partying last offseason when he first signed. Uh, I definitely noticed he, you know, he, he had a taste for the finer, uh, you know, liquor and alcohol and stuff like that. So good for him hopefully the drinking uh doesn't i remember i think for his birthday last year he took like tim williams and maybe ronnie stanley on a private jet to mexico i think yeah like yeah so he was doing that he was at like secrets i think at one point with like jimmy smith and some of the younger like dbs i was like of course jimmy smith uh yeah (laughs) yeah um so he's just like getting down in the uh the sand dance room good for him uh mixing it up in that nice clean water that they got there um yeah, we got Ben Rose jumping in. If you got a question, Ben, we'll answer it. We didn't throw one up, but always welcome. Any questions, welcome. If you have one, shoot Hit it Hit us up. with your best shot. Fire away. Fire away. But yeah, we're moving on to some schedule talk. The schedule finally came out in its entirety. And an interesting one. The Ravens obviously have their 16-0 and preseason record uh, at helm. And now we got to see... The layout, they have five primetime games, which ties a franchise record. I don't think, I mean, I think one team gets six usually per year. I'm not five, mistaken. Five, I think five is usually the the main number, but it could be six. Probably right. the Cowboys so, are getting like six. They end up uh, playing, you know, what initially is called, you know, the easiest schedule in football, but a large part of that is them playing the Bengals, who were 1-15 twice. So that's going to be two and 30 against that. And with, you know, a tackle like Jonah Williams sitting a year out, recovering, coming back, adding T Higgins, uh, Joe Burrow comes in year two of a new head coach, a couple new linebackers in there, you know, anything can happen in those games. I don't see the Bengals going, you know, one in 15 again, for sure. I think a four and 12 is much more reasonable, maybe a five and 11, but uh, very weak schedule, and they play the NFC East, which has been middling for a couple of years. Uh, but I'm excited. They play the Cowboys, and that is always a very entertaining game. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's always a lot of fun. So I guess just jumping into it, you have Week 1 versus Cleveland at 1 p.m. I feel like that's going to be a sneaky, fun game. I think the Browns, oh, of course. Yeah, Browns ripe to maybe bounce back a little bit. Week 2, you go at the Houston Texans. I think that's going to be another good one. Uh, Texans at home, not to be trifled with. Week three, I feel like, is when the season really gets going. Monday night football, home to the Kansas City Chiefs at 8.15 p.m. That house is going to be hopefully rocking. I guess we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens, but that uh, ideally is basically the game where, to me, if the Ravens are not are not able to win that game, the Chiefs are their daddy. Yeah. Three in a row. Three in a row in this early stage, Chiefs are their daddy, and that's a really demoralizing loss. Um, either way and it's also a huge 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 statement win well it's tough for me because they hadn't so i guess like you're talking about the lamar era which does make sense uh they would be if they were three and oh against them but they've also played the chiefs twice at arrowhead and the first time they really should have beaten them i mean so to a certain extent I, i definitely see what you're saying uh but yeah i mean i feel like those those first two losses are maybe colored a little bit differently by the fact that they've just both been at a rocking arrowhead stadium so i think it'll be an interesting litmus test to see them come to like i said a hopefully rocking mnt bank stadium right then you go you know october so that's through september the first three weeks it's september 13th this year a little late 
October consists of at Skins, home against the Bengals, at the Eagles, and home against the Steelers before a bye week in the, I guess, first day of November. Uh, So that's an interesting little stretch. Two road NFC East games. I think that the Ravens probably are able to shellack the Redskins, who are still a little bit weak in their offensive line as well as oh my god i completely forget that trent williams is a 49er now that's insane um but also their secondary so i feel like that's a, a pretty easy one the bengals you expect them to handle at home but have obviously always been a thorn in the Ravens' side and then the eagles for me in philly is a really exciting game and uh, will shape up to be a really good game i think that wentz is ready for a a big year and we'll see if he's able to stay healthy and all that good stuff but them getting some speed back getting healthy uh, making some adjustments defensively, all that good stuff is an exciting game. That's one of the ones I'm going to be looking forward to on the schedule. Yeah, definitely. Just like even having competent wide receivers. I feel like we have not seen that in a while uh, for good old Carson Wentz. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned hopefully going down to old Rao John and uh, putting a whooping on the Redskins would be a nice confidence booster. Uh, then you have the Steelers uh, at home, a 1 p.m. game. They're really try- They're really moving this Raven Steelers uh these matchups down to that 1 p.m. time slot. It's kind of kind of sad, but I, I get it to a certain well, extent. Well, not exactly. Okay. Thanksgiving. Yeah, okay, so we can dive into that, I guess. I totally forgot about that. But, um, yeah, so-, so they end up going, this is tough, they have bye week after home at Pittsburgh. So their schedule is uh, pretty, you know, it, it rotates home and away through week seven up until the bye week. Then they go at Indy, at New England, back-to-back road games, pretty good franchises. Who knows what the Patriots will be, but I imagine at worst they're an 8-8 eight eight team maybe. Um, that's going to be a primetime game. Home against the Titans. That is going to be a bloodbath. I'm going to predict an ass-whooping of the Tennessee Titans uh, in week in week 11. That'll be my, my bold prediction on a game. I think the Ravens will dis- dismantle the Titans at home in the regular season. Uh, but that is the one home game in November before at Steelers on a short week for Thanksgiving. Yeah, definitely. So you definitely you circled that Titans game there. I totally agree with you. Like I just this Ryan Tannehill thing, like it's just it doesn't do anything for me. We've seen this happen before where very talented teams prop up quarterbacks who are average to not good. I think it's fair to say Ryan Tannehill is pretty average to above average, but even then, it's like, how are you going to do any better with eight than eight and eight with a guy like that? Uh, I just kind of don't see it happening, especially in a division that should be a little tougher. And yeah, I mean, it's just like it kind of reminds me of the Blake Bortles. Tannehill was really able to hide off of the running game and and throw some great play action stuff. And credit to Arthur Smith, their offensive coordinator. Uh, when I previewed the Titans game, went back and watched all of their stuff because the Ravens had a bye week. I mean, he really draws up some money play action plays. But I just think that he was really kind of an outlier success-wise. He was, he had like 148 pass rating on play action. I think that as kind of if he settles in, teams are able to get a little bit of a feel for it and stuff. I don't, I don't see him sustaining that kind of excellence on play action. And they also lost Conklin on the offensive line, who is probably, uh, I mean, Titans fans love Taylor Lewan because he's like this very interesting guy. And I think he's a good player as well. But Conklin was probably their best offensive lineman. Um, so that's a big loss for them. And I think that they'll definitely be able to shellac the Titans at home and be very f- lividly furious about what happened last year. And I think they'll be motivated for that game. Yeah, definitely. So that's going to be a fun one. And uh, like you said, 
uh, ripe to just completely just, you know, smack them down, which would be so much fun. Like, after all, they transpired, I, you know, that's definitely one that I'm going to be circling. But then, like you mentioned, week 12, they go to the Pittsburgh Steelers for 820, that coveted last time slot of the Thanksgiving matchups, 820 p.m. at Pittsburgh. So, of course, everyone's going to be drawing parallels back to the last time these two teams played on Thanksgiving in 2013 when uh, an errant Mike Tomlin was wandering onto the field as Jacoby Jones had a sure touchdown in front of him, ran him back into the middle of the field, and he was tackled. And the Ravens couldn't score touchdowns this, that year, so uh, they opted for a field goal, one of five from Justin Tucker in a winning effort. Look at your boy, bringing out the history. And then Jacoby Jones having a classic, like, I think I made that my Facebook cover picture for like a year and a that's half. An all time, that's an all-time Ravens picture. Him digging into a turkey leg. That's just uh, so that was Jacoby, an awesome game. Yeah. And anything primetime Steelers is always electric. Very curious to see how they play out this year with a 38-year-old quarterback coming off of Tommy John because this feels like they ignored, you know, they're, they're all in for one more year. Um, they ignored the other route of, of kind of getting some contingency going. And Steelers fans, very optimistic. They want one last ride with Ben. They had that great defense last year that kept them in it. They think that Tomlin did a great job. Um, I'm very curious to see how that ends up playing out. I, I, I think they split with the Steelers in the end. I agree. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see them. What if uh, Lamar hasn't lost to the Steelers yet? I, I see the Steelers stealing a game at some point. I mean, to count out Ben entirely is is bullish and foolish. I mean, to the people that are already automatically counting him out for this season, like I get that angle of it, but I also get the Steelers fans who are somewhat optimistic. I mean, the guy has played well recently enough where him coming back and having one more decent season wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Uh, but and it, it is a health year, having having that toll away from his body. Yeah, right? and it, it it is a health thing, so I understand that. But if he can stay healthy, you know, I think he can maybe. Go and go on and win like nine and ten games. I could see it happening, and I mean they should have lost a freaking Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges last year. So, right, and I think that uh, he'll he'll definitely provide some better play. I think that they're kind of propped up a little bit in a weird way with some funky games that have happened, and and we'll see. And maybe their defense really can keep rolling, um, but I, I don't see them being like you said more than maybe a nine win team. So interesting. I think the Ravens end up splitting and walking out uh, one and one against the Steelers. I think they win in the in the under the bright lights. So I think they might lose ahead of the bye week and then and then come out strong perhaps. So an interesting uh, divisional year this year. And luckily, you know, no Steelers, no Browns to end the season. So in that last little stretch, December into January, you end up seeing uh, Cowboys. On Thursday night, one week after playing the Steelers on Thursday night, both the cow the new rule in the league is that if you play on Thursday, um, you you'd only play a team that also played on Thursday or something. They they don't make Thursday teams play against like a mismatch in time anymore. I can't recall the exact rule, but so Cowboys at home on Thursday after Thanksgiving, that's going to be a really exciting game. Cowboys fans everywhere in all games always show out strong, crazy fan base. Then really, I mean. Browns, Jags, Giants, Bengals couldn't ask for a better final month to solidify maybe, you know, an 11 and five year or something of the sort and make a run if they need to. Uh, after a tough little stretch from probably the Eagles, October 18th through the Cowboys, December the 3rd is Eagle at Eagles, Steelers, bye week at Indy, 
at New England, Titans, at Steelers, Cowboys. So that's a that's definitely the meat of their schedule, a treacherous part of their schedule. But um, what I think this team has in Lamar Jackson is the ability to win against elite teams uh, in the regular season that they really sorely lacked for years and years. The last like three or four years, they've been able to beat up on those middling teams and those those mid level teams. But now I think you know under the bright lights in the regular season they really shined. So I'm excited to see what they can do there. Shout out to Eric, uh, who was texting in earlier, who uh, said, looking good, fella. I assume he means fellas. He's probably uh, smoking that sticky icky. And then he just commented, Big Ben looking chonk. So good contributions there. Uh, A comments, i.e. the Jags and Raiders a few years ago. I'm assuming he's talking about the quarterback situations. Jags, yes, uh, with Blake Bortles. Raiders, no. Derek Carr was an MVP candidate that year before he broke his leg. Uh, and then Ben Rose jumps in. Should the Ravens have any interest in Larry Warford? Uh, right player, wrong price, especially after the Fluker signing. At this point, it's crowded. Um, they, you know, I would have liked to maybe see them dip out of Fluker and into Warford, who I think has made three straight Pro Bowls and is an excellent power football player, uh, just all around solid, like a unanimous top ten guard in the league, but. There's going to be a team like, hopefully, for the, their fans' sake, the Chicago Bears, or someone who has a very sorely lacking offensive line that, that needs that. And the Ravens would love to have it. Um, not shocked to see DeCosta make at least one phone call, as he seems to always do, but uh, it, it just feels a little out of the question. There have been some rumors that we said we weren't going to touch on, but uh, some rumors floating through the grapevine that have since been denounced that maybe we see Miles Garrett potentially end up in Seattle. Um, the Seahawks like to do crazy weird stuff like that. And the Browns seem to really like it as well. Obviously their general manager is known for pulling those kinds of moves, but it was some sort of Reddit thread. So maybe we get a little drama going on. I mean, there's some pretty good free agents still out there. Clowney Griffin, uh, some, some decently high level free agents. Clay Matthews, still a big name guy. Maybe his play is not quite as big name as, uh, his actual name, but we'll see. There's still some dominoes to fall. I think a lot of people want to see how, the start of the season starts to go and uh, where this weird time ends up as stuff starts to reopen potentially and probably a second wave of coronavirus starts to hit and all that stuff. So uh, there's there's still some drama left to unfold, but it's exciting to have the schedule out. Yeah, there definitely is. So as far as the schedule goes, uh, let's go Roger Ebert. I'm going two thumbs up. Yeah, it's a really good schedule. I'm generally happy. I don't think the NFC East is overly imposing. I don't think the AFC South is overly imposing, especially, I mean, Jaguars, Giants, Bengals to close the season, two of those at home. That is an r- amazing way to finish a season. Uh, you, you know, even if, you can if, get, if you can get it done against the Browns on that Monday night game, heading into that stretch, then you've got to be 100% confident that you can close out those other three games. Right, and let's say, I mean, over the last stretch of the seasons, at Steelers, Thursday night, Thanksgiving, Thursday night Cowboys, those last six games, you know, one one division winner from last year in the Cowboys. Or excuse me, no, the Cowboys lost out and missed the playoffs. <laughs> Good yeah. lord! So no division winners there. God, I love the Cowboys. Uh, the, unreal. Jerry Jones drafting off of his yacht. He's just like when dude the super uh, yacht. Sorry, Jerry, wherever you are, super yacht. I don't know if we talked about like their their whole draft scenario. We you know we're kind of focused on the Ravens, but like when they pick CD. 
and he's sitting there on his yacht. And he's just got that weird, like, shit-eating grin on his face. It reminded me exactly of when they took Zeke in 2016. And it got this, like, wide, like, long shot of their war room. And it's literally just him, his, like, little old man just up there grinning ear to ear. <laughs> like, everyone else is, like, he off to their own thing. And he's like, God damn it, Terry. Oh, You yeah. did it again. You got yourself a good old football player here. He's going to come on in there and win some football games for us. You did it again, you beautiful you bastard. Beautiful son of a bitch. <laughs> this is such a Cowboys friendly podcast. That's, we might that's be the a... only one, to be honest. So, I mean, yeah, seriously. We're with and you. I'm like, like Dak Prescott on a Thursday night in Baltimore. God knows what that could end up being. I'm really excited. He has, he has higher MVP odds right now than Russell Wilson. He's Look at like that. I mean, they, they actually give him a supporting cast, unlike the Seahawks. So, that's true. Their line is still relatively intact despite a big retirement. Uh, Seahawks drafted a linebacker. And yeah, I mean, who else did they draft? Like, not enough playmakers. I mean, DK Metcalf is great last year, but. DK, I'm going to hammer in fantasy this year. I think he's going to have a. a crazy are you going ha- to hammer DK on DK or on FanDuel? Is DraftKings DraftKing still around, is what I'm asking you. Yes, for sure. Okay, so DK, the the reference. It, DK, DK. It holds. Diddy Kong. Because it's a DK. Donkey Kong. I'm excited to see. I'm, I'm excited. This NFL season is going to shape up. Uh, I, I'm really excited. The, the fall of the Patriots is huge, potentially. And Yeah, until they go and win 11 games, and then we're all just kind of picking up the pieces. Let's be honest. We're It's Josh, Josh Allen's AFC East, and we're just living in it. We're not personally living in it, but other people are. We're just living in it. We're just relishing it. I'm excited for whatever the hell. The, the number one team in the NFL right now that I'm very uh, confused or kind of curious, I guess is a better word, is the Panthers. I'm very curious about the Panthers. I think they have potential to be like an 0-16 team, but the best 0-16 team that has ever existed, if that makes any sense. Teddy is really strange to me. Um, they got Robbie Anderson, and they have not Curtis a, not Samuel. a lot of competition there. To be fair, there's only two zero and sixteen teams in history. All right, well, like one of the best bad teams of all time. Long okay. story short, fair enough. One of the best bad teams of all time. They have deep ball receivers with a quarterback that does not throw the ball deep. Um, Christian McCaffrey is such a wild card, and then their defense is like they they didn't draft an offensive player. They have the youngest defense. Keekley's retired. They have new, I mean, Derek Brown, they have an entirely new like defensive line. Their cornerbacks are very strange, young. Uh, Jackson, De- Deontay Jackson, whatever the hell is. Dante Jackson is like their cornerback one. Uh, they drafted Troy Pride out of Notre Dame. Like, I think they have 0-16 potential, but like could beat any team in the NFL any given Sunday more than any bad team ever. Yeah, well, I mean, there's this young, promising kid down in uh, Greenville a couple hours away who maybe they've got eyes for. Maybe David Tepper is one of these new age guys who's injecting young man blood into him and like microdosing psilocybin and like just trying to like, you know, do some new new things, take on some new ideas and maybe tanking is one of them. Who could say? Who could say? Uh, but it's a very strange, the, the NFC South there, I mean, that's a tough division for them and a first-year head coach, and a lot of things going in a strange direction that way. Um, another team that I think could be sneaky good 
we, we you and I have kind of talked about the Cardinals. That's that's my first one. We both now have bets on Kyler Murray to win MVP. Uh, I could see him having that third year in a row, 2018, then 2019, now 2020, of a second-year quarterback. But Mahomes, obviously, Lamar Jackson, now Kyler Murray having you know a really huge skyrocket, getting DeAndre Hopkins, them solidifying their offensive line a little bit more. They have a coach that is a little radical, but it seems like it's – Oh, he's you know, radical. Right, and it seems like it's not like a bad radical. It's it's like a it's one that works. They can be an anomaly, making them a team that is difficult to prepare for. Uh, they end up getting Isaiah Simmons and a couple other really, really, really good draft pieces. So I'm really curious to see how the Cardinals play out. But then finally, the Giants. I mean, I quietly like Joe Judge. That is a team that is in a division where God a little, knows little John Harbaugh vibes from Joe Judge. I've I've kind of always thought that as soon as they hired him. For sure, that kind of, you know, uh, executive rather than, you know, X's and O's guy potentially, uh, being a decision maker and, and coming from the Belichick tree. So I'm, I'm very interested by the Giants. I think they have a really good defensive front now. Uh, their secondary might still kind of stink, but the addition of Andrew Thomas plus the playmakers that they have, I mean, Saquon, let's see if we can get him healthy. And uh, Daniel Jones, another guy who could take a, a leap in year two. We saw him. He definitely uh, started off hot, and maybe that was a little bit of beginner's, you know, whatever beginner's luck you want to call it, and then he ends up fumbling his life away. Uh, but I think that he made some really advanced processing reads and throws and some really awesome stuff at times. So I'm excited to see what the Giants can do. That's another sleeper team for me that I think could end up sneaking into that seven seed, which we'll see now this year. Is that this year or is that the, uh, the following year? I believe that's this year. Interesting. I'll throw one at you then. Cleveland Browns, Brownies. Yeah, I think Stefanski is the best coach they've had, uh, uh, like in my lifetime, maybe. Who? I mean, yeah, that's another who could say situation, but it does feel like, as far as fit and what they're trying to do, it's kind of not the, oh well, you know, this guy Kitchens gets the most out of Baker. Let's just we maybe have a quarterback here. Let's literally just do everything to placate him and try to just build literally everything around him. It feels like it has a little bit more of a, let's cater to the whole offense vibe. They also are going to, I mean, Stefanski loves zone concepts and he loves tight ends and they have Joku and Austin Hooper. I think that Baker is kind of familiar throwing over the middle of the field a little bit more. And I think he's going to really like that kind of offense where he can work out of some powers power sets and some bigger personnel. Uh, I think that them kind of maybe relying a little bit less on their third and fourth receivers, as opposed to a one and two tight end, a one and two running back, a one and two receiver group. I think Stefanski is perfect to consolidate things for them. And then they end up shoring up the offensive lot. I mean, their offense on paper, if Baker is able to get back into a stride and have uh, uh, him and Kirk cousins are, are not dissimilar as far as arm talent, as far as kind of style of throw. I think that Baker's got a little bit more zip. Cousins might have a little bit more touch. I think that Baker kind of struggles to put touch on throws at times. Uh, but other than that, I mean, Baker on the move is his rookie year on bootlegs and on some of those you know, zone play action concepts, getting him out in space was really good. And then this past year, he was the worst rated quarterback, according to PFF, uh, outside the pocket and on rollouts and concepts like that. I think he threw like, 11 of his interceptions on those kind of concepts. So I'm, I'm really curious to see if they can kind of simplify things for Baker, get him back to basics and then rely on, they have a one, two punch at all skill positions running back. They got Chubb and hunt. That's going to be 
awesome, awesome, awesome for them. And then uh, behind a big offensive line and the receivers and tight end. So they've consolidated. I see them trotting out some heavier personnel and doing some things. And we saw how well Stefanski's offense worked for Dalvin Cook, who the Browns made now with Wills and Conklin and uh, you know some, some decent interior offensive linemen there might have a better line than the Vikings had. And that's dangerous, putting those guys in a one-cut system. Uh, we saw what Kareem Hunt could do, and then Nick Chubb obviously destroyed the Ravens once. So going to be tough, tough out. Yeah, Baker and Cousins are dissimilar in the sense that Baker would wear like converses to a wedding in his tux, and he would just like be a total douche nozzle and try to dominate the dance floor. And then Kirk Cousins would be like one of the carpool drivers away from the reception. Yeah, Kirk Cousins would be drinking a, a seltzer, like a, a spritzer or something, and then have one. Get a little yeah, mint yeah. sprig in there to spice it up. Exactly, but he'll he'll definitely enjoy the food and have a lot to comment on the food at the wedding. Nice guy. Nice guy. Nice dad. Good dad. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so any other thoughts on the schedule before we get rolling? I think they've got a difficult stretch. I mean, a couple of away games, they got the bye game ahead of a couple tough games. Um, you know, initial feeling is that I thought last year people were kind of underselling what this team is, and I think now because of that massive 12-game win streak, you know, there was a little magic involved there. I think that again, I'm going to end up probably going towards an 11 and five season. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's, you know, the 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 idea of repeat. No, no teams repeat 14 and two. That doesn't happen. Um, so maybe it does, but I think team people are now a little bullish on like, all right, the Ravens have a chance to go 16. I'm like, eh, let's relax here. They didn't really add veteran weapons on offense and they lose Yonda. They lose Hayden Hurst. Um, probably still a net loss offensively while their defensive fronts a lot, a lot, a lot better. So I don't know, but conversely, one thing that I will say is that I think this team now is so deep and so solid that let's say that, you know, Lamar Jackson doesn't exist. I think RG three could take this team to eight and eight easily. Yeah. I mean, to me, it all comes down to confidence at this point. Lamar has to be in the same or close to the same rhythm that he was in last year. Just keep the engine kind of running. And like you, I'm kind of looking at, and even before this, I think I was looking at like 11 and five, you know, a three game drop off from what they did last year. Pretty significant. Ultimately, if you look at the numbers, but uh, just as far as overall team quality, it's not going to be that different. And really it comes down to what they do in the playoffs. Uh, in my mind, they need to get it done, win a playoff game for this to be a successful season to me. So a uh, win totals, not really that important in my mind. Right. I think in the worst case scenario that this season could go with drama or injuries or whatever, this is still, I mean, with that seven seed being at large now, this is still a playoff team. So it's kind of that awkward year of, you know, uh, 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 not even including the coronavirus, but, um, that awkward year of, all right, like let's get to the freaking playoffs. Like shit's not going to matter until we get there and see what this team can do. So it is what it is. It ain't what it ain't. And let's see if this team can, you know, make that run. You and I last year thought this was a team that still wasn't quite ready to be a Super Bowl contender. Uh, I, I still kind of feel like maybe they're ready to, to get into a championship game. I still don't feel like they're ready for a Super Bowl. Um, I think they just need just that one last I, – I think they aren't – this organization isn't the organization that just randomly pops up and, and goes to a championship game like that. They did it in 2000 with a with crazy free agent edition. Shannon Sharp, Rob Woodson, Robert Nett, Michael McCrary, Sam Adams, Tony Saragusa, all coming in free agency-wise. That was a little different. The game was a little different back then. But I think they're, I think they're this close to being a Super Bowl-caliber team, and I think we see that next year. 
So going into this year, I'm anticipating them maybe going to an AFC championship game or something of the sort, but not quite making it to the big dance. Yeah, I think once you kind of get to that championship weekend, it becomes a little bit of a wash and you can maybe get lucky a couple bounces or two go your way and you could wind up winning a Super Bowl. So as long as they get there, then in my mind, they'll have done pretty much everything they can or they could have done. So uh, I guess we'll see what happens. Eric chiming in, there's nothing wrong with Converse's and a Tux. Uh, you know, let me refer you to a nice little quote from my favorite fictional poker player, Mike McDermott. Listen, here's the thing. If you can't spot the sucker in the first half hour at the table, then you are the sucker. If you can't spot the guy wearing the converses in the Is first half from, hour at the uh, wedding. Is that from the Molly's game? Rounders. Oh, never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Okay. If you can't spot the guy at the wedding wearing converses in the first half hour, then you are the guy at the wedding wearing converses with your tux. So. There you go, Eric. It's you. It's a tough scene. Anything else or should we get out of here? Last note is I would highly recommend reading the Bleacher Report article on Hollywood Brown. It was riveting stuff for me. Uh, I was going to say, did you write that? It seems like I did. That's right up my alley. Yeah. But it was good stuff sitting down with Marquise Brown, talking to him. You know, there's stuff about his story and whatever, but uh, just giving insight into the potential that he had, how hampered he was last year, I think is something that is a little overlooked and his ability to get separation without even hitting his top speed at the end is going to be disgusting. Um, him getting those one-on-one situations. And I believe that this is going to be, you know, uh, for me, it, it spoke volume. It was kind of talking about how they, how Eric DaCosta said, you know, Hey, the Ravens front office is like, Hey, Lamar, who do you want as your number one receiver? We're going to try and pair you up with somebody. We'll go get your guy. And he said, give me Hollywood or give me Jerry Judy next year. And to me, that says that Hollywood is wide receiver one in their eyes far and away. And they're anticipating him being a legitimate wide receiver one this coming year. Uh, A lot of encouraging stuff in that article and just hearing, you know, the attitude of Lamar Jackson, the attitude of Marquise Brown, the way they're looking at the game, the way their teammates see them and uh, seeing how, how quickly they were able to, have a special connection at the beginning of the season. Although Hollywood was hampered and kind of faded out there towards the end, you see it again in the playoff game. So I'm excited to see what that can become. That is my like storyline or, or thing that I'm most curious about and excited to see heading into the 2020 season. Yeah, definitely. That was a really nice piece. Uh, I believe it was Ty Dunn there. Who's done some really good long form stuff for Bleacher Report. He's always good. Uh, Dan Pompey used to write for them. He's now with the athletic does some other good long form stuff when it comes to the Ravens and uh, a bunch of other teams. So check out Ty Dunn's article uh, on Bleacher Report. And uh, I guess that's all we got. That wraps it up for us. We will be trying to fire up some more. We took a little break there after we had a very intense draft season. Uh, but getting back into it. Hopefully we get some good news. Hopefully we get some more moves coming on shortly and appreciate you guys. As usual, we'll try and get some uh, good stuff going on in the next couple of weeks. We'll get some mailbags out and some other content. So can't wait to hear from you guys and thanks for listening. Definitely. Uh, if you enjoyed what you heard, please follow us on social media. You can find Spencer at Ravens for dummies. That's the number four in the middle. You can follow me personally at Jake Luke. That's L O U Q U E. I do a lot of my football tweeting from the podcast account, which is at podcast Beatdown. Uh, go ahead and leave us a rating and review wherever you're getting your podcast. If you're on 
iTunes, go ahead and leave us that five-star rating with a review. Uh, check out the YouTube channel for some of these episodes that we're going to be posting, uh, pretty much most of them. And then maybe you're going to be trying to do some other video content we've been discussing, uh, discussing some different streaming platforms and stuff. So uh, a lot of ramping up going on here as we head into summer very soon. Really appreciate you guys listening and uh, stay tuned for later this week. And uh, hopefully next week, and we having a pretty good draft related guest to break things down for the Ravens uh, familiar face. So uh We'll leave you with that tease and uh, have a great couple of days until we talk to you guys next. See ya. Peace. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All right. God bless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>